continuing tonight with this idea of the blessings that come from being rooted in our Savior Jesus. And tonight we'll talk about how God strengthens us, motivates us, and reminds us of his love so that we in turn share the good things that he's given us back with him and with others as well. I suppose the answer has changed a little bit since March of 2020, but back in November of 2019, Charles Schwab interviewed a thousand people, gave a thousand people a survey, and they asked them this question, how much money would it take for you to be considered, for you to consider yourself rich? I want you to think about that for a second, and as you think about that, I'm going to add a second question that was part of the survey as well. They asked, how much do you think you need to be rich, to be considered rich, and how much do you need to, be con to consider yourself comfortable in this life? Okay, there's two different numbers, and I want you to think about it, and then we're going to play the Price is Right game, higher and lower, and you can shout out an answer, and I'll tell you if it's higher and lower, and we'll get it narrowed down to what the answers were, okay? All right, let's start with the first one. How much do you think the average American person out of the thousand people surveyed, I guess that's a pretty good sample size, how much do, the, do you think people in our country think is necessary to be considered rich? A million dollars higher. A billion dollars lower. A hundred million lower. Okay, so we're now between one, one million and a hundred million. So I think we can narrow this down a little bit more. Three million, lower than three million. Two, higher than two. Yeah, it's about two and a half. It was actually $2.3 million when they took all of the answers from the survey. That is where the average was of what an American person says it would take to be considered rich, a little over $2 million. All right, let's try the second one. How much do you think an av the average American person thinks it takes to be comfortable in this life? Three-quarter billion? Million. Close. A little higher. A million. Just a little higher. Actually, $1.1 million was the average of what people said. That's what it would take for them to feel comfortable in this life. Think about that. It's almost like monopoly money, isn't it? And maybe that doesn't even cover it. But I thought about that and I, and, and I thought to myself, okay, so that's what Americans think about money and what riches is all about. And, and, and maybe that's not exactly how we might define rich or richness, but, but it was interesting to think about. And then the survey went a little bit further and it asked how much each person considered giving to a charitable organization of their income. All right, so can, can we play one more time? This is a percentage between one, and, well, I guess you could say zero if you want, between zero and 100%, how much do you think the average American contributes to a charitable cause of some sort? Lower. 2%, just a little bit higher. It's actually about 2.2% of income. All right? So take that number and chew on that for a little bit. I can tell you this because it's the only statistics I know of the church body, the synod that our our chapel is a part of, the average is somewhere between 3 and 4% of a person's income that they return in blessings, uh, the blessings that God has given them to the church. So again, think about those numbers and think about maybe, maybe we don't always think about rich in the correct way. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. When, when we talk about being rooted, rooted first has to start with recognizing how rich we truly are. 
And only then will everything else in our life follow in a God-pleasing manner. I want to talk, to talk to you about this verse tonight from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Apostle Paul has a little bit different definition of rich maybe than the average American thinks. Um, and so tonight as we think about rooted people and, and how it is that, that being rooted in Christ leads us to be generous, to give back, I want to take these verses and talk about three things. I want to talk about Jesus first of all as our Savior, then secondly as our motivator, and then finally as our example. Let's start with Jesus as our Savior. This verse, chapter 8, verse 9, is in the start, starting part of two chapters in which the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians all about giving, all about financial stewardship. It's probably the most comprehensive two chapters in the Bible about what giving is all about. And, and maybe I'll encourage you sometime this week or in the weeks to come just to read those two chapters and just see how the Apostle Paul so beautifully lays this out. And he starts with that one phrase, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians because they had promised that they were going to take up an offering. They were going to gather money to send with the Apostle Paul back to Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem had suffered a severe famine. And so the people who had more in Europe, in this case, in Corinth, we're going to give from their plenty to help the people of Jerusalem who had less. For whatever reason, the Apostle Paul doesn't exactly tell us, but the Corinthians seemed to drag their feet when it was time to actually take up the offering. And so those two chapters are all about the Apostle Paul bringing an encouragement as to why they should do what they had promised to do. You see, what Paul doesn't want is he doesn't want them to feel forced. He doesn't want them to be forced to think that they're doing this out of a sense of duty, of obligation. He wants it to come from a willing heart. You see, the Apostle Paul understands that, that only the generous giving only results when there is a heart that wants to return blessings that have come from God to us first. And that's why he starts with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It starts with what God has done for us first. It starts with Jesus as our Savior. I love the way the Apostle Paul lays it out. He actually uses a fairly common Greek construction called a chiasm. If you don't know what a chiasm is, it's in the shape of an X. And so what you see in his laying this out is he starts with rich, poor, and then goes to poor, and then rich. Let me just explain briefly. Though he was rich, Paul talks about Jesus. Well, what does he mean? Well, think about Jesus' riches. There he is, the Son of God, eternal, ruler of the entire world, the entire universe, right? He's got everything that he could ever want, rich. And yet for our sakes, Paul says, he became poor. In the letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul described just how this poverty, we sometimes call it Jesus' humiliation, came about. That he was willing to be made in human likeness and to humble himself and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the poverty that Jesus was willing to take on for our sakes. And then Paul flips it around. He says, so that you, 
that's us, through his poverty, through what Jesus was willing to do, might become rich. It's Jesus' poverty. The fact that he was willing to give up everything for you and for me, that he was willing to suffer and die for our sins, that's what makes us truly rich. Rich in ways that that money simply can't buy. It's rich in the forgiveness of sins. It's rich in the eternal life that God has promised us. And that's what our Savior has done for us. In a different letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said something similar in these words, Ephesians chapter 2, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's where the rooted starts, right? In the knowledge that we're saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I said we wanted to talk a little bit about Jesus as the motivator for being, when we're rooted in Christ, for being generous and willing to give back. See, a huge debt of sin has been canceled. God has said, you're free. Free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt. It's all washed away in the blood of Jesus and guaranteed in his resurrection from the dead. There's no spiritual poverty for any one of us. Because we have the full blessings, the full grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in that forgiveness and eternal life. That's what allows us, strengthens us, moves us to be rich toward God. And when we think about being rich toward God, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's everything about our lives, right? It's certainly about giving ourselves as living sacrifices as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. But it's also about using the blessings that God has given us to give back to him and for others as well. That might take different forms. There's not one way that God lays out that we can use the physical blessings, the monetary blessings that he's given us to give back to him. But here's what we know. There is no greater price that has ever been paid than what Jesus paid on the cross. What Jesus was willing to give up makes anything that we sacrifice, anything that we give in return, pale in comparison. And there's no price. There's no amount of money that could give what Jesus gives for free. It can't be bought. God's grace, his mercy can't be bought. And that's our motivation to live for others. A little earlier in this letter, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote this in verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's Jesus as our motivator. Last one I wanted to talk about tonight is Jesus as an example. And, and, and I, I put this third for a reason. It's not that Jesus as an example is unbiblical or not important. It's just not as important as him being our Savior first. And yet the Bible certainly holds Jesus up as an example for us. And that's what the Apostle Paul does in this text as well, doesn't he? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the example, right? Look at what Jesus was willing to give up, yes, to save you. And Jesus gave, didn't he? He gave himself. He gave us his righteousness. He gave up his very life. And now Jesus wants us in turn to be people who give back, who give back to him, who give to others. 
yes, we give of ourselves, but we give of the blessings that God has given us too. Maybe you're sitting there tonight thinking, well, why in the world is pastor talking to college students about monetary things, giving money? Like, we are as broke as we're ever going to be, right? I got tuition to pay, I got living expenses to pay, I got some books to buy, and I know you do. But here's, here's the thing. I'm not talking about amounts. And God is never, ever, ever concerned about how much you give. He doesn't need you to give hundreds and thousands of dollars. God doesn't need your money. That's not what he wants. What God wants is your heart. Because when he has your heart, he knows everything else will follow. So here's a suggestion. And it's just a suggestion because God doesn't tell you how to give your money, how to use your money. But if you have that blessing of earning some money, as little as it might be with the bills that you have and the things you have to pay, Maybe get in the practice of taking at least a portion of that money and giving it somewhere charitably, whether to church or to another organization that helps others because it's something that God wants us to do, to recognize that everything that we have, first and foremost, is a gift from God. It belongs to him. And when we return it to him, that's an honor to the Savior who gave us those blessings first. I didn't come up with this, but I'll share it with you. I learned from some wise person somewhere along the line how a good way to teach my children to use part of what they were given to give back to the Lord. So I don't know how it was in your house, but we didn't use allowances in my house. I didn't like that word. Like, you get something just for living. Here's something we're going to give you just for living. So we called them commissions. Yep, if, this, if our kids did the things that they were asked to do around the house, they could actually earn, I think the maximum was like $10 a month, right? If they were faithful in the, their, their duties, that was their commission. And in their little dresser drawers somewhere, we let them decorate their envelopes any way they wanted. They had three envelopes. One was called save, one was called spend, and one was called give. And when they received their commissions at the end of the month, we asked them to divide those things appropriately. We wanted them to put at least half in the saving part and then at least, and we used an Old Testament number just because it's what God asked of his Old Testament people, 10%. Have you heard that word before? Tithing, right? Not required by God in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in the second part of this two chapters, in chapter 9, Paul says we should decide, each person should decide what he is in his heart what to give because God loves a cheerful giver. But it was good practice for them to say, you know, when God blesses me, me with money, even as small as it is, I want to make sure that I recognize who that came from. And because of the grace of Jesus in my life, I can take even that little amount of money and offer it back to the one who gave it to me to begin with. I think that's good practice for all of us, isn't it? To recognize that every bit of what we have and who we are is a gift from God and then return a portion of those blessings to him out of love for what he's done for us first. Here's some takeaways from rooted people give back. Number one, Jesus makes us rich beyond measure because we are saved by God's grace. Think about that. The deposit of spiritual wealth that God has made in your account and nobody can take it away. Nobody can withdraw that from you. It's yours because Jesus paid it. 
Then number two, we are motivated by God's grace to follow Jesus' example of giving. When we reflect on that grace of Jesus, it's our motivation and then it allows us to strive to mirror the blessings of giving as Jesus gave to us. Finish it up here with just a a little thought. I'm not sure the first person who ever said this and many people have said things similar to this. Don't be afraid of outgiving God. It's impossible to do that. But I like that phrase because I think that person hit on what holds us back. No matter who we are, no matter how much money we have, no matter how many bills we have to pay, there's always this sense of fear, isn't there? That if I take something from myself and give it to God or give it to somebody else, that's less for me. Maybe I'm not going to have enough to make it to the end of the month. Maybe I'm not going to have enough to make ends meet. And there's this fear that that maybe it's not going to work. Toward the end of these two chapters that the Apostle Paul writes, he wrote something pretty amazing. He wrote this, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having everything that you need, you will abound in every good work. Aren't those amazing words? There is no way for you or me to outgive God. Not just in the spiritual blessings that God gives, but in the generosity that we reflect of God's generosity to us, God promises that he will meet all of our needs. I had a wise person once say to me, you can't outgive God. And of course, I'd heard that before and I know that expression, but here's what he said next. And I hope you take this to heart. It's sure fun trying. It's sure fun trying. What an awesome attitude to have to say, God has given me so much, what do I have to lose to give back to him when I know he's going to take care of me? That's God's promise to you as you and I know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.